Hello and a very warm welcome to you on this chilly evening here in Tucson, Arizona. I still cannot get warm. I'm not used to this weather here in the desert anymore. Welcome to Reason for Hope. Reason for Hope is a live hour-long broadcast which is dedicated and guided by, for the most part, your Bible questions. That's right, you can send your questions in on the Bible through our multiple platforms or email address and we will get to those questions on the show. Uh, we delve into the Bible to find those answers straight from Scripture. So if it's a, a verse or passage of Scripture that you would like expanded upon or maybe something you're even going through in your life, maybe worldviews and other religions, uh, perhaps prophetic things or really any honest question, as long as you know, we're going to delve into Scripture to find those answers. That's what we're here to do on A Reason for Hope. So we're very glad that you're joining us uh, for maybe the first time or one of our regular viewers. You're all very welcome. My name is Dave Robson. I will be fielding those questions on all the platforms. As we go along on our show, also with us is Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing? Rather warm, actually. You're warm? Yeah. Can I have some of that? <laughs> well, uh, that would make you a candidate for Germany's energy policy. Oh, maybe not then. I'll stick with the with the chilliness. And also with us, Senior Pastor Scott Richards. And once again, you go, oh, we're all in blue today. That's Look right. Look at that. Finally. Yes. Got very, the blue. <laughs> varying shades. But, <laughs> varying yeah. shades of blue. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. How are you doing, Pastor Scott? I'm doing fantastic. It's always uh, such a privilege to be able to share God's word with people. Looking forward to how the program unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can't believe it's Friday again. These Fridays just whip around before yeah. we know it. Well, insane. this. Yeah. Yeah, it is insane. It is insane. I must be getting old by the moment. But so there are several ways that you can uh, uh, join us. As I mentioned, A Reason for Hope is a live broadcast Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time here in Tucson, Arizona. And through the Internet, of course, you can join us anywhere in the world. And we have people doing just that. So you're all very welcome. And we're glad that you're joining us and making the show really what it is. Uh, you can go to our website at calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you follow that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. When we're not on air, you'll see a countdown to the next broadcast, which will either be a, a Reason for Hope show or our regular services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson. We have a Wednesday evening service and uh, three Sunday morning services, which you can join us on these same channels to view or come and visit us in person if you're in the Tucson area and wish to do so. The direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church or once again, just follow the link from our calvarychristianfellowship.com website. On Facebook, search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson uh, or facebook.com slash CC, uh, CCF Tucson. That's the direct link there. And we are live there as well. And as you know, Facebook, you can like it and share it, uh, share it around and comment there as well. You're probably familiar with Facebook. We have a mobile app. If you search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store, whether that be your mobile phone or mobile device or even on Roku and Apple TV, if you have those devices, you can watch us on your big screen. And on YouTube, our channel there is A Reason for Hope. I changed the graphic today to the uh, Calvary Dove, so it will no longer be Sean and Scott. <laughs> but that is an old picture that I screenshotted. So, but anyway, A Reason for Hope on YouTube or youtube.com slash at A Reason for Hope 546. You will find us there. Let us know if you have any problems finding these channels. We always say it's, it's good to kind of fall back on our website if you experience any technical issues. CalvaryChristianFellowship.com is a great place to be. We kind of have the most control over that. But, uh, of course, you're welcome to join us on any of these platforms. Don't forget to like and subscribe and click uh, the bell icon um, so that you get notified on YouTube when we are live if you wish to do so. You can follow Pastor Scott as well on Twitter. His handle is at ScottR4H, where he posts highlights from the show and 
commentary on world events and prophetic things and news things and funny things and serious things and things that make you go, whoa. So do join <laughs> Hopefully a few of those. <laughs> whoa. whoa. It, 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 it uh, cranks up the amount of hits that you get on the site. That's right, yeah. I've often read it in whoa. Yeah. So uh, Twitter, if you're a Twitter person, you can follow Scott Richards there as well. And then last but not least, our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Uh, we are live on all these platforms, apart from on the radio. If you listen to us on Reach Radio or Radio Affiliate, you're listening to yesterday's show, basically pre-recorded. But use our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, at gmail.com. And we get to those questions on the show as well on kind of a first-come, first-served basis as far as we can. And with all that being said, Pastor Scott, would you pray for us today before we do anything else? I would be delighted. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much that we can welcome your presence here. And thank you, Lord, that you never leave us or never and never forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that you are just as real and just as invested and involved in the hearts and lives of every person joining us from the far-flung reaches of the world uh, today, as you are right here in this studio. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us through the power of your Spirit to be able to uh, properly answer the questions that are in people's hearts. Uh, may your word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, not only uh, be used to, to uh, do some, well, maybe some spiritual surgery on uh, those areas that really need changing within our hearts, but also may you uh, strongly convict and draw to you those that maybe are fence-sitters, those that are just uh, checking out uh, what we talk about on the program today because they're curious. I pray that they would understand uh, that uh, you're beckoning them to a living relationship with you, and all they need to do is put their faith and their trust in your son's life, death, and resurrection on their behalf, ask for forgiveness of sins, and for you to come into their life, and you will. Uh, Lord, we pray that that would happen for many, many people today, and we thank you, Lord, that uh, even in this crazy world where so many over-the-top things are going on, uh, you, the sovereign God, are working out your plan and that uh, we can anticipate the return of your son at any time. Help us to have that glorious joy uh, even within our hearts, even in this distressing time we live in. Help us to keep looking up as a result of the program today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, indeed. Well, is there anything going on in the world that would be of interest? or Well, or uh, some very, very sad things are going on in the world. Right before mm. uh, airtime, uh, there was a uh, news uh, item that ran on uh, Joe Rosenberg's allisrael.com website. And if uh, you want to stay up to date on what's going on in Israel, I highly recommend uh, allisrael.com. You should bookmark it and uh, go back there often. But the headline is really tragic. Uh, breaking news, seven Israelis shot dead in Jerusalem terrorist attack tonight. Mm. Others seriously wounded. The terrorist from East Jerusalem was killed by Israeli police. Uh, seven people were killed, uh, but uh, there are a number more that were wounded. Uh, in this attack, we do not know uh, if any of these other uh, seriously wounded individuals uh, are still hanging on. They are hospitalized even as we speak. The attack apparently was motivated by an exchange between uh, members of Islamic Jihad uh, in the city of Jenin in uh, Israel. Uh, the, they attacked a uh, IDF outpost, and nine of the attackers were killed. And so it does appear that this is <coughs> a uh, response to this attack. Uh, Israel, Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, Gilad Erdan, issued a statement uh, saying, 
Uh, innocent Jews were brutally murdered in Jerusalem on International Holocaust Remembrance Day by a Palestinian terrorist. The UN must understand that every single day the state of Israel fights the war against Palestinian terror, and I demand immediate condemnation of this heinous attack. If any lesson was learned from the Holocaust, it is that everyone, everyone must stand behind the Jewish state as we defend ourselves from terror. This is the true meaning of never again. And again, uh, Ambassador Erdogan's uh, comment is uh, really uh, bitterly ironic in that this is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. There were a number of articles on uh, All Israel News about uh, some of the uh, Holocaust survivors that are still in Israel. But uh, as you know, the greatest generation, as we would refer to them here in the United States, uh, uh, they're, they're getting quite old now to uh, run into World War vets, World War II vets. It's uh, becoming increasingly uh, infrequent uh, as they had to be in their uh, 20s uh, around about the uh, 1940s. So you do the math and you understand. Uh, but also the Holocaust survivors are beginning to pass away. And the, the reason that that uh, is an issue and a problem is that uh, the amount of Holocaust denial is also increasing. That's one of the reasons that Steven Spielberg uh, filmed a nine-hour documentary called Shoah on the remembrances of Holocaust survivors so that these things would be documented. Most mm -hmm. of us are familiar uh, with uh, the other uh, movies uh, that uh, Steven Spielberg has done. Uh, regarding the Holocaust, but this is a straight-up documentary, mm -hmm. and uh, the opportunity to be able to uh, uh, record these memories and save them for posterity. So, uh, you know, again, it's getting political over there. Uh, Israeli Minister of National Security Itamar Ben-Giver, who we've mentioned a number of times on the program, is uh, now facing uh, a backlash from the public saying, this has happened on your watch. Uh, you promised us better security. Uh, where, when are we going to see it? Uh, the Netanyahu government uh, is knee-deep embroiled in a controversy about a restructuring of the Israeli judiciary. We talked a little bit about that uh, on the program. And uh, the, uh, the uh, exchange between uh, terrorists in the Gaza Strip uh, launching missiles into Israel has also been going on earlier in this week. Uh, but as far as uh, biblical prophecy is concerned, uh, you know, a couple of things uh, about this. Uh, we talk quite frequently on this program about birth pains, how in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talked about how wars and rumors of wars and things along this line would increase in frequency and intensity as the big day draws near. Well, uh, when we take a look at Matthew 24, we have to realize that Jesus' focus in this passage is on the nation of Israel, not necessarily the world at large, although the world at large is certainly affected by the events, but by Israel itself. And uh, when we see something like this happening, uh, what I think you can pretty much expect to have happen uh, is that Israel is going to respond to this terrorist attack in a pretty dramatic way. The Netanyahu mm -hmm. government really has no uh, alternative but to do so. And uh, interestingly, Israel's enemies are already responding to this attack. In the Jerusalem Post, uh, the headline is, Iranian media reacts to Jerusalem attack, highlights the martyrdom mm. of the murderer. Uh, in fact, uh, Israel's Tasnim News, which is sort of the uh, media uh, arm of the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, uh, they were in the news earlier this week 
because uh, the European Union is giving serious thought to having them labeled as a terrorist organization. Now, mm-hmm. they consider themselves just to be a, a uh, adjunct of the Iranian uh, military, but uh, because they are so deeply involved in planning and financing and executing uh, terrorist activities across the world, uh, even the EU, which is not what I would call rabidly pro-Israel mm-hmm. in any sense, uh, has called them out on all of this. Well, their media arm, uh, Tasneem News, uh, portrayed the terror attack as a possible revenge for the clashes, clashes, clashes I should say, in Janine uh, that we mentioned earlier. Iran's FARS news service also reported uh, about the attack. It was a little more general uh, in its coverage. Uh, the place where this gets to be uh, a little gnarly uh, is that the report went on to claim that there had been resistance in Hebron in the wake of clashes in Janine. Palestinian sources reported shooting at soldiers, the occupying regime as they describe it, uh, north of Hebron. It is claimed that the Palestinians threw explosives device towards a Zionist military post near Janine. Uh, now that's near the uh, northern west bank. Uh, Hebron is in the south. We drove past Janine uh, when we were on our uh, Israel tour uh, not too long ago. Uh, Tasneem also reports the, quote, joy of the Palestinian people after the great resistance operation in occupied Jerusalem. Well, that's a very odd way of describing the uh, murder of seven people uh, Mm. for no other reason than they were walking out of a synagogue on Shabbat uh, in Israel. Uh, It also claims that there were celebrations going on in a number of the uh, Arab-dominated neighborhoods in East Jerusalem, which would not surprise me a bit, uh, seeing as though I was given my own personal greeting from the uh, East uh, Jerusalem neighborhoods uh, round about the Pool of Siloam, uh, where uh, some uh, individuals ended up uh, throwing concrete rocks at us, mm. uh, which, you know, if I really believe if the Lord hadn't interceded, could have really been um, devastating. I mean, the rock that hit me was about that big. Man. Uh, and fortunately, it hit me right on uh, the earpiece that I was using to listen to the audio. I mean, it, it struck it directly and then deflected into my head, and that's what caused the bleeding, the deflection. Yeah. But if it had hit in the temple and so on, uh, the IDF medic said, oh, you're, you're very, very lucky uh, that this damage wasn't uh, worse than it was. Wow. So, yeah, the Jordanian land squatters got arms. Yeah, so yeah. you know, the, the, the bottom line is, uh, this kind of, uh, to whom it may concern, hatred yeah. towards anyone who is not a Muslim in those quarters is, is par for the course. And so when it reaches a level like this, and then you have uh, uh, outfits like uh, the Iranian media fanning the flames in Israel, saying that this was a great uh, victory. Uh, in fact, uh, they uh, report that there are celebrations going on in Yemen, uh, right now, the Houthi rebels there are congratulating the Palestinian resistance youth in occupied uh, Jerusalem. Uh, there are numerous stories on uh, the homepage of several uh, pro-Palestinian newspapers supporting the attack. Uh, the website, uh, again, is blaming uh, the, this attack on the confrontational strategy that uh, Netanyahu's government has taken against uh, the Palestinians. So To translate into English... The reason seven Jews were killed is because Jews exist. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, Tasneem says uh, that uh, Israel's, uh, the, the attack on Israel is to be blessed. Uh, the report also said that uh, mourning in Janine for the clashes on Thursday had turned into celebrations after the Friday attack had been known. The report also claimed that Israel was afraid and had feared this kind of attack. Well, I don't know anyone in their right mind who wouldn't fear this kind of attack. But I think what we may be seeing as a result of this is, once again, this acceleration in the region. You're going to see Israel respond in a very strong way. They're already responding to the uh, rocket attacks from Gaza uh, with uh, targeted strikes within the Gaza Strip. But I think uh, you're going to see, um, just on the basis of the fact that this newly formed Netanyahu government, including uh, people like Ithamar Ben-Giver, are going to have to show uh, the Israeli people that there is security and that there is stability there and that people who do such things uh, are not going to get away with it. Uh, one other detail on all of this, the parents of the attacker have already been arrested by the Israelis. And uh, one of the reasons they do that is because it is the policy of the so-called moderate Palestinian Authority, the one that our government uh, negotiates with and considers a partner for peace to pay the uh, surviving parents or families of individuals who were killed in so-called martyrdom operations, like this murderer who killed seven people walking out of the synagogue. Uh, they, they put them basically on a, uh, a pension for life yep. as a result of this. Mm. Uh, and, and so uh, there is talk already uh, about uh, what to do, how to cut off those kind of funds, how to make the uh, Palestinian Authority pay for this encouragement of terrorism. But uh, by all means, we definitely need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem right now. I do think we're going to see an acceleration in events. I think Iran has been spoiling for something like this for some time. Mm. And uh, if Israel responds in the way I think they're going to respond, I think you will see Iran, through its terrorist proxies controlled by the Iranian Republican Guard Corps, uh, responding in kind to the people in, uh, in Israel. And just a note, um, the financial incentive for jihad attacks has actually been de declared, excuse me, illegal as of last Thursday. So they are at least passing legislation on the Israeli side, but as you know, the independent PLO functions as a law unto their own. So. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for... So sharing that. Um, one, one other, uh, uh, this is a little bit of a, a, a um, distraction from all of this. A little lighter uh, note. A little lighter note, yeah. but uh, I think an important note in light of, uh, of current events. Uh, I was perusing the Jerusalem Post before the story broke. And uh, have you ever gotten sucked in by clickbait? Yes, uh, you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, you know, some article and and boy you know it's got the graphics and oh we need really need to read about this mm -hmm. uh, well i i was a victim of clickbait earlier uh <laughs> and it came from the jerusalem post uh the headline was asteroid half the size of a fighter jet may nearly hit earth on friday an mm. eight meter uh wide asteroid is uh scheduled to uh impact or come very close to earth just a thousand kilometers or so wow. above the Earth. NASA said this is a very close encounter of an asteroid. Normally, uh, when they talk about close encounters of asteroids, they talk about asteroids that will uh, come as close 
as, say, the distance to the moon from Earth. They'll say that is a, a near cool. miss on a cosmic scale. Well, this one is going to um, actually only be around uh, five, 6,000 miles uh, above the Earth. Uh, by last calculation, they're not really sure exactly uh, what's going to go on with it. The disconcerting part of all of this is that this asteroid that is going to uh, come this close to Earth is traveling uh, about, uh, oh, 8,700 kilometers per hour. It's probably going to shoot up to about nine kilometers per second or six miles per second. That's quick. Uh, yeah, that's very quick. <laughs> and they didn't really spot it until two days ago. So, <laughs> And it is the size of four of me. Yeah, so it's the size of a fighter jet, right? And so you read this article and, and boy, you know, you're going, oh, wow, you know, this... This asteroid, you know, eight meters, uh, you know, wide asteroid, it's going to uh, come very, very close until you get to the last few paragraphs where it says eight meter wide asteroids impacts happen uh, here on Earth about once every five years. If it did impact, it wouldn't cause any damage at all. Oh. Uh, <laughs> while asteroid impacts can be devastating, that only works if they're big enough to survive much of the trip through the atmosphere. At eight meters in size, this one is likely to burn up. Yep. If it doesn't, it will probably explode in the atmosphere several kilometers above uh. the Earth. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the, the bottom line is uh, it's going to be close enough so that you can view uh, this asteroid as it mm. passes if you know where to look. Uh, the Virtual Telescope Project uh, has a live stream which starts streaming again uh this evening so stay tuned oh. they say but uh, you know the thing that bothers me about all of this is you see this graphic and you've got this huge you know yeah. flaming thing heading towards the earth and <laughs> oh my gosh it's yeah. the closest one we've ever seen they just spotted a couple of days ago and they go oh well it's gonna burn up in the atmosphere <laughs> never mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> You got me all excited as well. Yeah, I was like, story. I'm reading this article and reading this like, article. And, oh, on, my Jesus, gosh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And they, they've got a picture of a fighter yeah. jet comparison yeah. and all this other stuff. So, obviously, when you see these things and glimpses of Revelation chapter 8 come to mind, note that will be at a specific time. Revelation 6, yeah. Well, well yeah. And, and regarding and, the yeah, uh, yeah. mountain thrown yeah. into the sea that will destroy a third of the ships and all sea life. Yeah. The point being made, though, is this. Foreshadowings for sure, but fortunately, we are a privileged planet, as they say. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah. Yeah. You ever wonder why the moon has so many craters on it? Mm. Because it's been taking out these kind of objects for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, we even saw how God has set up uh, the largest planet in the solar system, Jupiter. Uh, you know, a few years back, uh, the uh, comet Shoemaker-Levy slammed into Jupiter and uh, left uh, scars on Jupiter's atmosphere, many of which were larger than the Earth itself. Wow. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you take a look at that, you understand that God has set up, in a sense, the, whole, the solar system in a way that protects the Earth from a lot of these mm. incoming uh, celestial beasties, if you will, uh, <laughs> and while take the, these things out. While the scars on the atmosphere have faded, the emotional scars will be there for a while. So. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks send, for send Jupiter a, a get well card. <laughs> yeah, so, right. yeah. yes. <laughs> thanks for taking one for the team. Yeah, exactly. Up there, Jupy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there for, you go. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. You guys want to jump in some some questions? Yeah, let's yeah. do that today. Yeah. Um, well, question from Denver. Denver, thank you for joining us again today. I saw you restate your question. Appreciate you doing that. Denver asks about. Um, 
What do you say when someone tells you that being transgender is scientific and that it isn't a sin in the Bible? Can it be a chemical imbalance or something genetic? You can be born with the wrong gender, basically, and, and also sexual preference. I've heard that said, you know, you're born, you're just born homosexual, you're born gay. Is that a possibility? Do they have tests now and things, uh, research, where it shows that that is a case? Not objectively. No, well, let's, well let's, let's build from the foundation up and then, you know, uh, I'd, I'd invite we'll your comment on, the, on yeah. this. You know, when the Bible talks about the creation of uh, the first two people, it says that God made them male and female. Yep. Uh, you know, male and female, he created them. He emphasizes this particular point. Um, what we're dealing with when we deal with much of transgenderism and uh, the idea that I was born this way, yeah. uh, you know, it has an awful lot to do with the, an underlying uh, spiritual conflict mm. that has been going on for quite some time. Uh, and that is, uh, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden mm -hmm. when the snake said to Eve, has God indeed said? Uh, our culture mm -hmm. has taken that to heart. Uh, we do not believe, uh, or at least a good portion of our culture does not believe that God has indeed said anything about anything. Right. Uh, we tend to believe that uh, there is no such thing as right or wrong, but thinking makes it so. In fact, we've mm -hmm. even taken it a step farther than that there is no right or wrong, but feeling makes it so. Mm. Uh, and, and so uh, when we talk about transgenderism, uh, you know, particularly when we're dealing with children, uh, adolescents going through a very confusing time in their life, uh, when we see that there are, you know, repeated examples of educators who make it their business in the classroom to push people in this direction. Mm. You know, well, you know, you, you, you feel like you're, uh, you know, you're more of a boy than you are a girl. Well, you need to explore that. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, the repeated cases where, uh, you know, we find that such educators go out of their way not to inform parents mm. about such things and uh, promote this gender confusion by insisting uh, that uh, a person be called by their preferred pronouns. Yep. In other words, your genetic endowment given to you by God is superseded by your preference. Mm -hmm. And what that really kind of comes down to is one fundamental question. Has God spoken to us? Right. Has God decided what reality is all about? Mm -hmm. Now, if God hasn't spoken to us, then your opinion, my opinion, your feeling, my feeling, uh, it's all on the same level of validity. And I think when we see even something as fundamental of as are you a male or a female being thrown up uh, for a serious question, even by scientists and physicians and pediatricians and so on, what we're seeing is that there's an underlying philosophical battle dare I say, a spiritual battle that yeah. is going on. You know, one of the most interesting things that the Apostle Paul said about the last days in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is that in the last days there would be those who would turn away from the truth and mm -hmm. be seduced by doctrines of demons. That mm -hmm. is the, the term that is used there. We, we get a lot of questions and there's a lot of conversation about spiritual warfare on this program, and it's usually about, oh, I'm worried, uh, you know, I'm going to run into somebody who's talking in another worldly voice and throwing up pea soup, you know, and, you know, Satan's going to get me and, and yeah. so on. 
that's not really where spiritual warfare goes down. Hmm. The, 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 the real spiritual warfare is the battle for hearts and minds, and the battle for hearts and minds of humanity is one based upon the truth of God's Word. Now, if Satan can undermine that and get people to question, even on a very fundamental level, their own individuality, their own identity, not based upon what God's Word says, but based upon their own individual feelings, well, then the damage and the destruction that comes out of this is going to be forthcoming. Mm. You know, the idea of giving, uh, you know, children, say, uh, you know, uh, puberty blockers and, uh, you know, again, these, uh, you know, mutilating uh, surgeries uh, where there's no turning back, yeah. in a sense, once you've gone down that road, all because of a feeling. Now, you know, what it comes down to is this. If you're under 18 years old, you can't go to a tattoo shop yeah. and get a tattoo right. without your parents' permission. But in a large portion of our educational system, you can pursue the idea of a, uh, a chemical uh, regimen uh, whose long-term effects we have no idea right. uh, are going to be. Although uh, we have some. Uh, we're starting to see quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, you can be physically mutilated in surgery after surgery, and your parents are kept out of the loop by, I, it's hard for me to say, well-meaning, mm but obviously uh, educators that have an agenda. And the agenda goes far deeper than just, man, you gotta be you know, free to be you, you know, free to be yeah. you and me and, and all that other stuff. Uh, no, that's not what it's about. The idea is it is out and out rebellion against the idea that there is absolute truth, yeah. that God has spoken to us, that is binding on all people, that even affects us on a biological level. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where the battle, I think, really lies in all of this, yeah. you know, and so when someone says, I was born this way, you know, that's, that's an interesting question because we are all born according to Psalm 51, in sin my mother conceived me, Dave said, Dave, David said, not Dave, but David, <laughs> um, you know, again, we have a fallen sinful nature that we inherit from Adam that is present within us mm. literally from birth. Uh, if, you know, so, oh, children are so innocent, and if we could just, you know, train them, you know, keep them from all the, anyone who says that sort of thing has never been around a two-year-old. Yeah. You know, you don't have to teach kids to lie. Mm. They know how to do that all by themselves. You have to teach kids what? To tell the truth. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 the fallenness, the nature that we have as human beings is something the Bible says is inherent in us. Uh, in Adam's sin, we all fell, according to Romans chapters 5 and 6. Paul goes into quite a bit of detail about all of that. Which no more exempt them from their need for the gospel. Notice, not a subhuman status. Their need for the gospel than someone who was born with a proclivity towards kleptomania yeah. or a proclivity yeah. towards heterosexual so, love. So, so, so could we say that part of that fallen nature means I'm bent in a certain direction towards certain areas of fallenness? Absolutely. It, it certainly can mean that. Yeah. But does that mean because I have a bent in that direction, then I can't help it? In fact, it's not even a question of I can't help it. It's I must indulge it in order to be authentic to myself. 
And it's not even that. It's you must be made to celebrate this as virtuous or be penalized criminally. Yeah. So, you know, when when people bring up, you know, is it possible, you know, to be born with an inclination towards, uh, say, same-sex attraction? Well, I guess. I don't know. Nobody knows. Not, not even the, the, the most advanced geneticist knows whether that's environmental or whether that's genetic. Is it possible? Sure, it's possible. Mm. But even though it's possible, when people say you have this proclivity, you've been born with it, therefore you must indulge it, yeah. what they are not doing is elevating people and their humanity and their dignity. They are lowering people down to the level of animals and impulses. I have certain impulses, therefore I must act upon them. You know, mm. As you mentioned, Sean, what if I have a genetic predisposition to kleptomania. Yeah. Can I then, if I get busted, you know, uh, lifting, you know, I guess it'd have to be quite a bit these days because you, I, I guess you get away with a thousand bucks or something like that if you steal it from Walmart and they, they, they don't go after you. or In blue states. In blue states. <laughs> California, they certainly do. We don't recommend that or yeah. endorse that. But, <laughs> but, you know, say I go ahead and do that and, you know, the state of Arizona, uh, you know, the fine uh, police here arrest me and put me on trial and said, well, I can't help it. You see, mm. you know, I, I was born a kleptomaniac. You're yeah. being a kleptophobe. Yeah, you're, you're afraid of my, mm. my, uh, my uh, lifestyle where I want to relocate other items from other people to me. Yeah. You're just being true to you. I, I have to be true to me. Um, you know, who are you to put your trip on me? Well, the average person goes, I seem to remember something about thou shalt not steal. Well, who said thou shall not steal? Why is that bad? Yeah. Why is that morally, uh, you know, uh, culpable? Well, we deep down inside know, uh, and I think uh, God has given us this as a part of being made in the image and likeness of God, that this uh, just, hey, you know, you do your thing, I'll do mine, whatever, you know, if we meet in the middle. It's groovy. It just never works. Uh, you know, the, the idea that somebody might uh, feel like they want to appropriate your car mm -hmm. that you've worked hard for and paid off and stuff like that just because they feel, you, you go, well, that's wrong. Well, why is that wrong? You know, so, you know, yeah. what I think we're seeing is a bigger issue and, and, the, and the root issue of it is the issue of, of is there absolute truth? Right. And Jesus settled that issue when he said in John chapter 17, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. Now, why do I believe that? Because not only did Jesus claim to be the God who's revealed truth, he claimed to be the embodiment of truth. He proved that he was the embodiment of truth by dying on a cruel Roman cross and rising from the dead in a moment of history. I think with those credentials, I can take him seriously. Yeah. And I think that's a far more firm foundation to stand upon than uh, just saying, well, at this point I feel you know, a certain way. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I want to be something like, you know, what if I feel like I want to be an animal? You know, what if I feel like I, you know, want to, uh, you know, live my life identifying as a jellyfish or something like that? Yeah. Um, where do you draw the line? Well, right. you don't draw the line unless you have some basis for morality 
and reality, and fortunately, that's what the Bible gives to us. Yeah. So Amen you're going to gonna say, Sean. Yeah, and as far as the scientific aspect of this, when people say there's studies and it's proven scientifically that this is normal, what they're doing are referencing the works of two people, both of which were monsters and frauds. The first is a man by the name of Alfred Kinsley, and the second is a man by the name of David Money. Both of these doctors and their efforts in essentially normalizing deviant sexual behavior were done through the experimentation, taking a stick, by the way, from the works of Josef Mengele from the SS experiments at Auschwitz. Uh, he basically forced two twin brothers for one to claim that they were a girl and not tell them and also to groom them, to abuse them in more ways than one and to force them into this essentially diverse lifestyle between the genders and to show that it was fluid based on nurture rather than nature. The two subjects were not only traumatized, both ended up dying, one by suicide, the other by drug overdose. The damage was done irreparably and the conclusions are of course uh, hidden away for the sake of political, political excuse me, expediency. Kinsey, not much better. Kinsley, yeah. Kinsley. Yeah. Uh, he was not much better while he didn't specifically target young boys for his attention, although there is evidence of that as far as his hobbies. Uh, he essentially made all of his documented research and mm. interviewing people about their sexual proclivities and attractions exclusively and overwhelmingly with one market. And those were deviants, those were exhibitionists, those who people who were specifically not the kind of people that would make up the majority of a functional society. He specifically sought these people out and deliberately and exclusively colored his findings in this huge spectrum of very bizarre behavior and said, everyone's like this, when he only targeted a specific and small group. Mm. So, and again, well-intended or not, the people that would put forward the idea that these things are established science, that it's established by professionals and the experts, the science says nothing could be further from the truth. It's down to those two names, and neither of them came to any objective conclusions. If they were put in front of an objective scientific board today, they would either be dismissed on uh, what would be the term stacking their deck um, as far as setting up their findings in a biased bent. There's mm -hmm. a specific term for it. And, of course, uh, money himself would be tried as a criminal if he tried his experiments in the United States. So the point being made is that when it comes to this issue, the fact that people struggle with other sins, obviously there are more direct consequences on the horizontal than others, but they're no more human or less human than someone who would struggle in any area of sin. And I, we're going to have to keep saying that because the propaganda continues to circulate. But if you want to play by their rules, the lived experiences, if you will. They feel it. Why are you demeaning them as a human being? Okay, let's play that game. This is a book called The Transgender's Faith by Walt Hare, and he was someone who came out of a transgender lifestyle and himself admitted was not something that he had a proclivity to. It was something he was groomed into by his grandmother. And I can share this because he wrote about it. I think that's permission. It's also important to note is that while he did find a sort of emotional release from dressing like a girl and even went through a fully committed surgery into trying to become a woman. Mm. It didn't A, help, B, it only increased the kind of emotional distress he was seeking to exit from, and we see that reflected by those pursuing the surgery today. And of course, he is a born-again Christian now, finds his purpose, meaning, and peace, not in changing 
his clothes, or his body, but in changing and conforming his heart into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's something that we all would have to offer. And if you disagree with that, then you're denying transgenders something that has proven and documented evidence of working, of preventing suicides, and in fact, leading them towards a life that they don't regret living. And that's usually the kind of rhetoric that's thrown in your face. Make sure that if they're going to play those undercutted methods, you not only guard low, but you hit back the same way. Focus on truth. Know that it's on our side. And that if these things are going to descend into name calling, I don't care. That's all you have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Denver, for your, for your question and being part of the show. Definitely a hot topic right now in the world. So thank you for that. I hope that helps you out. Um, I had a question from Ronald, came in through our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, uh, on Exodus uh, 4, 1 through 9. Uh, his question is, what was the message of the first sign and the latter sign? I want to believe the account is very simple, but I wonder if God wanted Moses to understand more than just changing a rod um, yeah. into a deadly serpent or causing leprosy. Moses, Moses must have hesitated when asked to put a hand <laughs> Um, with advanced disease against his chest, as well as picking up the tail of a deadly snake. I hope I'm not making uh, this more complicated than a simple explanation. No, it's a good question because there was obviously an intent for the plagues of Egypt and how they were a direct polemic against the gods of Egypt. But when the signs that were given to Pharaoh, and this was for Pharaoh, it specifies that in the text, it was essentially to make the same point we see Isaiah making in chapter 42 of his book where he notes God's credentials, why he's to be taken seriously. He has the power to turn a non-life, a stick, into life, the cobra. He has the power to turn death, the leprous hand, into life again and back, noting he has authority over right. nature, something none of the Egyptian gods, not even in their myths, could claim. And, of course, in the uh, other signs as well, pouring out water, and turning it to blood. There were other signs too, not necessarily to dismiss the pagan gods yet, but to show Pharaoh that he was a real god, that he was capable of doing things and that he ought to be listened to on that basis. It's the same credibility that not only Moses established with the people of Israel, but also with the people of Egypt. That's why Pharaoh was judged so harshly when he rejected it. He was given direct miracles and multiple miracles at that. The The point in the message, though, was just that, though, to show unique attributes of God that were different from Egypt. When the plagues of Egypt started, it was to show God had authority over what they claimed were their gods when those gods didn't even exist. Yeah. That yeah. That's good. No. Yeah. All right. Good job, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I was looking at my questions list here. Thank you, Ronald, On for that. On the website, we've got one about Abraham. Uh, who was uh, from Annie? Yes. Yeah, if Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity all share the same roots, Abraham, why are the concepts of the, of the same one God different? Yeah, um, they're not all from the same root of Abraham. Islam purposefully, not only in verifiable ways, twists Abraham in ways that we can verify aren't true, and we're even not true according to the sources. I'll give two examples here in a minute. But in the claim that they're, quote, Abrahamic faiths, yet affirm different gods, only shows that those differences need to be emphasized. It's, and I'll be brief about this. As far as modern Orthodox Judaism, the real emphasis on Unitarianism, that there's no trinity, that God's one being one person, and the fundamental denial of that doctrine, that's a very new 
movement in Judaism, and it was made in response to Christianity, not as a natural result of their teachings. So just note that point. But Islam's even more blatant, and here's why. Uh, when it comes to the frequent references to the prophets in Islam, Abraham being one of their main ones, he claims two things about him that we can not only know where they came from, but also know that they're false, according to the accounts they themselves affirm. So if the thing they use to prove their credibility proves them false, that just means they're false. And if they aren't supposed to claim those things as credibility, those things have been corrupted, they oftentimes will say, then why does your Quran quote these sources and say that they're true when we know where they came from? The first is the statement made in Surah 2, 125, where it notes that Abraham built the Kaaba with Ishmael, the Kaaba being the cubic structure that pagans used to worship in Mecca and that is now used for Islamic worship today. But don't worry if you're doing pagan rituals, worshiping polytheistic gods, but say it's pure monotheism, that makes it so. I'm being sarcastic. Um, when it comes to the point of emphasis, and again, you can read this, Surah 2, 231, 125 through 127, and others, they're going to make this point about the reason the Kaaba is a place, or originally was a place of worship, was because it was built by Abraham, the first monotheist, even though the Quran and Bible both say he was a polytheist at one point. Uh, don't, don't bother looking at that. Point being made, though, is just this. When it comes to the geography of the Middle East, what would Abraham have had to do when we're told that he went from Ur of the Chaldees, which is in modern-day what? Uh, Iraq. Iraq. Yeah. All the way to Canaan, modern-day Israel, or at least in the Jordan area nearby. When he settled in those places, that's already an impressive distance on foot. Now, Dave, I won't put you on the spot for this, but would you say that it would be a short or a long jaunt for Abraham to then go all the way from Canaan, modern-day Jordan, all the way down to central to southern western Saudi Arabia in Mecca today, then turn around and go back to Canaan and spend the rest of your life there? Uh, long? Would that be a uh, short trip <laughs> or a very much out-of-your-way trip? Kind of out of the no way, sense. I would think, yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's the whole point, is that when the Bible documents Abraham's travels, there is no reason for us to believe he would go that far south with no reason or motive to think there would be anything down there unless you wrote it into the, the history after the fact. It makes no sense mm -hmm. of sources that they themselves affirm. The second one, and this one's a lot more funny, is they also, the Quran affirms, that Abraham was delivered from the fire of the Chaldeans. Now, Dad, you may know something a bit about this, but what essentially they did was they went into extensive detail, the Muslim sources, even in the Hadith narration, Sayings of Muhammad, where they describe how Allah caused all of the animals to blow the fire to make sure Abraham could survive it, like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego type deal, but with animal intervention. But the lizard didn't blow on the fire, so all lizards have to be killed. That's in Sharia. So what's interesting about that is, well, I mean, you may not like lizards, I do, but that's uh, the basis for the slaughter of those poor little noodles. But the point being made is this. What did that story actually come from? It wasn't from the Bible, or the Chaldees is a city, not a state of persecution. Him being delivered from a fire isn't something that we read in our Bibles, or any Jewish sources for that matter. Do you know where it came from? It came from a mistranslation 
on the part of a rabbi well after the time of Moses, well even after the time of Jesus, where he confused the, uh, I think it was the Aramaic word for Ur, for the Hebrew word for Ur, and assumed it was fire when in fact it meant city. So he said, oh, Abraham must have been delivered from a fire from the Chaldeans, instead of what it actually was and what everyone apart from this rabbi translating the text knew that it was. And note, circulation of that story was embarrassing. We know when it happened, we know why it happened, and we know who made the mistake. Yet somehow this story was in the Quran. Why? Because the majority of Muhammad's sources, the author of the Quran, I'll be put on a death list in 15 countries for saying that, but the actual documentation for this, the claiming that this is divine revelation, the reason why all of his sources from Saudi Arabia were borrowing from these pagan and not Jewish sources is because they were exiled from the Byzantine Empire, the Eastern Christians in Rome, because they held to these aberrant views when they were false. They were propagating false beliefs and kicked out of the empire. So what's interesting is that when the author of the Quran, who's undoubtedly human, was hearing all of these things, one of the nicknames they had for Muhammad was the ear because he believed everything he heard, mm. he put in a story about Abraham that was based on a mistranslation of mm. a word, not an actual event, mm. yet somehow Allah divinely inspired this word and gave us incentive and reason to murder all lizards because of it. Mm. This isn't the same Abraham. Mm. This isn't the same God. This is someone who co-opted the term, the Christian and Jewish God, in order to conform to his plan to dominate all of Saudi Arabia and the Arabian Peninsula as a whole, as we read in History of Al-Tabri, Volume 6, before he had any persecution, before he had any military arms behind him, when he had barely a dozen followers, he met with them and told them, I will expel the Jews and Christians from the Arabian Peninsula and not leave any but Muslims. They'll all submit to this saying, there is no God but Allah. And note, that was borrowed from the Persians. So the point being made is just that. Islam is a hodgepodge of a bunch of different sources that claim their source in Christianity, but not because of truth and not because of history, because of force of arms, because you'll be killed if you point out these things that we don't want you to know. So the point being made is just that. When we're talking about Abrahamic faiths, it is Christianity and Judaism. Islam only does that because they'll kill you if you point out that's not the case. Yeah, and I think it uh, dovetails into the uh, don't all religions basically teach the same thing. Right. Aren't they all religious rivers flowing to that one great ocean, which is God? You know, and the Muslims have a take, and the Jews have a take, and the Christians have a take, Mm -hmm. and the Hindus have a take, and so on. Well, there's a fundamental problem with that. Uh, The truth claims of one uh, absolutely exclude the truth claims of another. Uh, If you go to Jerusalem with us and go up on the Temple Mount, you'll see a structure called the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Mm. The Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, has written on the outside of it in Arabic, God is not begotten, neither does he beget. Well, that creates a real problem for us when we read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that Mm. whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There we kind of run into a fork in the road. Now, the truth claims of Islam and the truth claims of Christianity, Mm. logically, may both be wrong, 
but they both can't be right. Right. Either God has an only begotten son or he does not. Yeah. You know, and so when we say, you know, are, you know, aren't these all Abrahamic faiths? Mm-hmm. Well, they're Abrahamic in the sense that they all mention Abraham. They use as, the word. As, as you point out, Sean, whether that's the Abraham of the Bible is another question. Yeah. Uh, they all believe there is one and only one God, but how that God is defined is absolutely irreconcilable. They can be all wrong, but they can't all be right. right. Why do we believe Christianity is right? Because as opposed to Islam, as opposed to, you know, say, rabbinic Judaism, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus not only demonstrated that he was a credible source of God's truth by living a sinless life, by dying on a cross, but he also rose from the dead. Mm. So when we look at Jesus' statement that he is the Son of God, we can take him at his word. I yep. think that's a far more credible source than, say, the uh, writings, or maybe non-writings, because he was illiterate, mm. of a 7th century uh, Arabian robber. warlord. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. Amen. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andy, for that question. Great question. I hope that uh, helps to uh, clear that up for you. A uh, question from Dwayne. Are we sinning by putting evil before our eyes? I think Psalm Psalm 1013 talks about that. Probably other places too, but putting evil before our eyes. In the media that we watch, um, he likes shows like investigation shows like CSI and things like that, which often involve an evil person. Um, Are we sinning by putting evil before our eyes? And I guess a lot of movies have a... Bad guy. Well, well the ba- Bible has bad guys. Well, that's true. Violent stuff in it. So <laughs> yeah, I, I think of uh, the famous quote from Leonard Ravenhill: uh, "The moment you say you want to be like Jesus, you have to realize that Jesus had a wilderness, he had a Gethsemane, mm. and he also had a Judas. Mm. So right. you know, if say looking at the behavior of people doing evil is a problem." Well, we can't really, really read the Gospels on that basis because we find a guy like Judas doing evil things. Uh, we can't really, you know, for instance, this Sunday at Calvary Christian Fellowship, we're going to see uh, the Jewish ruling leaders in uh, the Sanhedrin throwing an eight-day fit because the disciples wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Mm. Um, they had them beaten uh, as a result of all of that. That's pretty evil stuff. Yeah. Um, should we not read that? Because it details it. I guess uh, getting down to it, Dwayne, is this. Is it wrong necessarily to watch CSI or one of these documentaries about uh, people? I guess it depends on what your motivation is. Mm. You know, if I watch a documentary on Bernie Madoff as a how-to because I want to put together a Ponzi scheme, then that is bad. Yeah, Not good, not Christian. <laughs> uh, but if on the other side of the coin I look at this and I go, wow, here is almost a retelling of like the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. Here's a guy who had everything and had nothing uh, and, and lost everything that was dear to him uh, before he passed away. Even his own son uh, committed suicide on the second anniversary of when Bernie Madoff's uh, embezzlement uh, went public. Uh, that was kind of a personal statement in a lot of ways. Mm. So, you know, you can look at a story like that about Bernie Madoff and you can say there is a cautionary tale. And there are biblical principles. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Mm. Uh, you know, you can uh, fool people, but you can't fool God. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he's also going to reap. Mm. Uh, so why are we watching these things? You know, and obviously, 
You know, I always go back to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever mm -hmm. things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, anything worthy of praise, then let your mind dwell on these things. Well, I need to be careful about what I let into my mind through the eye gate and the ear gate because it's going to have an effect on my behavior sooner or later. Right. So if you feel a conviction about it, don't ignore the conviction. Uh, there's other stuff to watch. There's more edifying things you can uh, access. Yep. Uh, just be a critical consumer. Don't just watch something because it's on. Yeah. And real quick, we got about a minute before mm -hmm. the music starts. Talon had a follow-up wondering, is transgenderism forgivable? I don't know what the act of transgenderism is, but I think he's asking about if someone were to commit to the surgery, does that mean that they can't be saved? Uh, that's literally, Talon, what this book is about. He went full on through with the surgery, and God still was able to work in his life. What God, Jesus does doesn't make you stop sinning. He gives you something better to do than what we would do normally to destroy ourselves and those around us. Mm. When we're talking to people who struggle in any area of sin, the objective isn't to make them a more polished person in rebellion against God. It's for them from the heart to recognize they need a savior. And whether it's from a worldview contrary to the gospel or not, understand God can work with a lot more weird people than what have been produced in the last 50 years. Yeah, I just threw in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 8, where it says, uh, you know, do you not know uh, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters and so on uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of yeah. God. Amen. Great way to end the show with the word. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Great questions. I love seeing where it goes, every twist and turn. Uh, it's Friday here, so we will see you on Monday. Have a wonderful weekend. If you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, come see us at Calvary Christian Fellowship. If not, enjoy uh, fellowshipping at your home church. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. See you on Monday. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's word. One question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.